0: I was in a shop and someone came and stole my wallet and in my dream I remember my wallet had my ID and my work access card in it and and the thief ran off and I shouted stop thief you've got my ID and my access card and the thief dropped the wallet and I retrieved it and then I woke up and I felt the presence of God very clearly and God said to me the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy but I've come to give you life and life in abundance And no matter what the enemy does, he cannot rob you of your identity as a child of God, your identity in Christ. And he cannot rob you of your access to the kingdom of God. And I want to start my message by reading from Luke 10, verses 17 to 20. And for context, Jesus has appointed the 70 and he sent them out to various cities, you know, all the places that he was going to be going to. And in verse 9, he commands them to heal the sick there and to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. From verse 17 we read, Then the seventy returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I'm giving you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. But don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Snakes and scorpions are symbols of you know, spiritual enemies and, and demonic power. And Jesus has given us authority over these forces. And certainly we can rejoice and we can celebrate that. But a greater reason for us as Christians to rejoice is because our names are written in heaven. We have an identity as the children of God. And that's the basis of our authority over the enemy and our ultimate victory. And my message today is about accessing and advancing the kingdom of God through knowing our identity as the children of God, as the royal sons and daughters of the king. And the first point that I just want to make is that we're not orphans. We're not orphans alone in this world, struggling to make sense, making our way through a complex and complicated world. Romans 8 makes it very clear that we are the most beloved, most precious children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba means daddy. And that's God hot hot towards us. He's hot towards you. He loves you. He loves you with such a passion. He loves you so deeply. He wants to pour out his love and his grace upon you. That you might truly know. You might truly experience what it is to be the child of God. To know his deeply compassionate, deeply intense. Father love. God's concerned with every single detail of your life, even if it doesn't seem like it. He's concerned. He knows every hair in your head, and He's fiercely protective over you. The Word of God says he's the, you're the apple of His eye, and He who touches you touches the apple of His eye. And I, I can testify to His supernatural protection over my life. I mean, I've shared this before, but a few years ago, I had, I had a pulmonary embolism, which is a clot in the lungs, and I had... I had a clot in my legs as a result of an international flight which I didn't realize and my leg got very sore but I thought it was just because of exercise and it kept pumping clots into my lungs where my lungs were just filled with clots which actually should have killed me and I just got progressively more and more tired and exhausted and I couldn't work out what it was and at the time I was just exercising all the time so I just thought well I'm just actually getting fit you know I need to kind of break through. But I I woke up in the middle of the night, it was the Monday night, and I woke up and I felt the presence of God in my room. And God spoke to me very clearly and He said, Seek seek me and you will live. And I didn't know what that meant. But I thought it was from God and I thought it was a warning. So every day I went to work and at lunchtime I went to my car and I prayed. And I prayed for protection just over my life. And on Friday I started coughing blood and um, sort of rushed to hospital, diagnosed with pulmonary embolism, spent eight days in hospital. Um, and while I was there, the doctor came to my bedside, he had the x-rays. And just to say way back, about 10 years previously, I'd been scuba diving in Mozambique at a place called Mantle Reef with some friends. And I was doing an advanced scuba diving course, and I was about 30 meters down. And just, I was scuba diving with flu, which is not a good thing to do. And I was just enjoying the fish. And suddenly, I felt the voice of God very clearly Just in the middle of 30 meters down, just coming into my mind. And the word pneumatic thorax came to me. And I was like, I've got no idea what that is. You know, thorax for me is associated with grasshoppers and locusts. But I immediately recognized it as the voice of God. And I felt it was a warning and I prayed. And I said, Lord, just please protect me. And I just took extra care to ascend. Because you know when you're deep down, your lungs compress. And if you have any pocket of air in your lungs and you go up and you haven't expelled it properly that air will expand and your lungs can rupture. And that's why our people die when they're scuba diving. And I just ascended very slowly and very, very carefully, making sure that I breathed very correctly. And I came to the top, and there were a bunch of you know, doctor friends on the boat, and I, and I was feeling a bit self-conscious. I said, you know, have you heard of pneumatic thorax? And one of my friends said, well, there's a pneumothorax, but that's a collapsed lung, and you don't have that because you wouldn't be speaking to us. I kind of didn't mention it again. I sort of wrote it down in my scuba diving notes. But that evening, I just had this... Breathing difficulties like I've never had beforehand. and I, Everybody kind of prayed for me and it lasted for a few weeks. I went back to South Africa and I sort of like struggled to sort of let it go. And I thought, well, obviously my flu has kind of gotten complicated and I sort of, you know, I've gotten something. I never actually went to the doctor. I just sort of, I never used to go to the doctor then. I just sort of kind of brushed it off. And when I was in the hospital bed, you know, recovering from my pulmonary embolism, the doctor came to me and he said, I've got your x-rays here. And it's very interesting, it's nothing to do with your pulmonary embolism, but I see that you've got an old pneumothorax, it's approximately 10 years old, you know, when did you get that? And I was just blown away by God's kind of intervention, that twice, you know, there was an attack in my life, and twice God intervened, and He spoke to me so that I could actually pray for protection of my own life, and I'm convinced of the fact that God loves me, and that God's... Concern about every detail of my life, and that if I turn to him, he's the answer. And I just want to just share that with you, that you might be encouraged, because God is your dad, and he wants to just love you and pour out his love upon you. My second point is that we are forgiven. It's something we struggle with sometimes, isn't it? You know, we, we're so aware of our own sin and our own failures and our own weaknesses. We struggle to believe that we can be fully forgiven and accepted by God. But we are righteous. The truth of God is that we are righteous before God through the blood of Jesus. And we can have confidence. We can have confidence to enter into his presence. We can have confidence to access the fullness of his kingdom through what Jesus did on the cross for us. And we need to be secure. We need to know. You need to know that you are adopted as God's kids He's your dad. And that's not going to change. And God wants you to be fully convinced in your heart that all of your sin has been forgiven, that you are cleansed, and that you are in complete right standing with God through the blood of Christ. You can know that His love and His approval and His favor is permanently fixed upon you. Because our identity as the children of God isn't based on our own works, our own goodness. It's based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 22 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, We have been forgiven. We have been set free. We were slaves in bondage to death and sin, but that was in the past. Through Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, if you have been born again, you have been set free. You have been provided the way of escape from bondage, access to God's presence, and an entrance into His glory and kingdom. And the third point that I want to make is that God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. In Romans 8 verse 15, we haven't received the spirit of bondage, but the spirit of adoption through whom we cry, Abba, Father. And we, and we, we lay hold of this truth of who we are in God through intimacy, through knowing God, through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. God wants us. To spend time in His presence. That we might know Him. That we might be known by Him. and we might see Him as He really is. And we've been given that capacity to know God through the Holy Spirit. But that capacity is something that we need to be intentional about. We need to actively develop throughout our lives. Jeremiah 29.13 reads, And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And hunger for God, one of the biggest signs of spiritual life that a person can have. You know, you can have like an intellectual head knowledge, kind of a concept of God's, but no real experience, no real relationship with Him. And God wants us to push past the head knowledge of Him to real encounters. We need a hunger for real encounters with Him that change and transform our lives. Jesus gives us a promise in John 14, verse 21. He says, He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will show myself to him. That's the promise of God. If you've been born again and have the Holy Spirit, the promise of God is that he will show himself. Jesus will show himself to you in a real real way that will change your life. In 1 Corinthians two verses 9 to 10, it reads, "I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him, but God has revealed them to us through His spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now, a relationship with God isn't a formula. You know, he can choose to make himself known in a powerful way, or he can choose to withdraw his presence for a season, for reasons we may not understand. But I've found, in my experience, when I'm intentional about making myself available to hear God through prayer, through worship, through reading his words, that I become increasingly sensitive to God, to his presence, to his voice, and I start to experience his joy and his power and his peace in my life. To a degraded degree. And when I'm not spending time with God, my spiritual senses grow dull and I struggle to feel his presence. And as Christians, we need to make seeking God's our highest priority. Psalm 37 verse 7 encourages us to rest in the Lord and to wait patiently for him. And true rest is found in relationship with God. And we've accessed through that relationship through Christ. We don't need to strive or fight to gain God's favor. It's provided through the gift of salvation. And God invites us to a lifelong walk with Him. Much as He walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where we can discover and develop a personal relationship with Him. But waiting patiently isn't something that's a passive thing. Biblical patience is motivated by passion, and it's defined by discipline. And focus. And in the same way, waiting for God requires intense focus and discipline, passionate determination and tenacity, and a deep, heartfelt conviction that nothing will satisfy us other than God. Nothing in the world will satisfy us apart from Him. God loves you, and He's calling you to go deeper with Him. To walk more intimately with him. Because he's got treasures in his kingdom that he wants to reveal to you. And that leads to my fourth point. What is this kingdom that the scriptures speak about? In Matthew 3 verses 1 to 2, John the Baptist is preaching in Judea. And he's proclaiming the coming of Jesus the king. And he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now this kingdom is just very simply God's rule and reign in the earth and in the heavens. He is the King. And the presence of the King, Jesus, introduces the power of the kingdom of darkness. And that overthrows the power and rule of all evil. It overthrows the kingdom of darkness. And there's a new world that's made available to us as Christians. It's a world of forgiveness. It's a world of healing. It's a world of deliverance. It's a world of restoration. It's a world of hope. Jesus offers the blessing of God's rule to every part of our lives and freedom from the slavery that the enemy would bring. And there's an interesting passage in John 1 that I want to touch on. Jesus has just met Nathanael, and from verse 47 it reads, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said, most assuredly, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now that's an interesting comment. What does that mean? You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And I think we start to get some context or some insight if we view the statements in the context of Genesis 28 where Jacob encounters God in a dream in Bethel. And in verse 10 we read, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob woke up and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not realize it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God." And this is the gate of heaven. And I believe this prophetic dream points us towards the ultimate access to the kingdom of God that we have through Jesus. And often our response is the same as, as, as Jacob's. Was. We can be in the presence of God and not even realize it. And we see in this passage that the house of God on earth functioned under an open heaven where the rule and reign of our spiritual enemy was broken off and there was alignments between God's will in heaven and God's will on earth. And that's, that's God's will, by the way. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6 to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God is simply on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants the reality of his kingdom to invade this world, to bring it under his rule and reign. So what or who is the house of God? In John 1 verse 14 we read, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in this verse dwelt actually means to tabernacle. And Jesus tabernacled amongst us. He was the house of God made flesh. And the fulfillment of the prophetic picture in Genesis 28. And through his death and resurrection we've got access to an open heaven, to the kingdom of God. But I believe that this prophetic picture is extended. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, the word of God says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? As the church of God, we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. We are the house of God where He lives. And Jacob's dream is a picture of God's intention for His church For his children's lives. In Matthew 16 verses 18 to 19. Jesus speaks about the role of his church. His children in advancing his kingdom. And he says, On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And if we go back to Jacob's dream, we see Jacob reclaim the place where he encounters God as the gate of heaven. And interestingly, Jesus refers to himself as the gate in John 10, where he says, I am the gate. Whoever comes in through me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. A gate is a place of access. You know, through Jesus we have access to the fullness of kingdom life. But we're we're a gateway people. We are called to minister access to the reality of God's kingdom here on earth. Our task is to see what is bound in heaven and bind it on earth, and what is free in heaven and to release it on earth. We are called to be on the offensive, to bash down the gates of hell and bring the reality of the kingdom of God wherever we go, both in our lives and in the lives of others. When you walk into a room, the very presence of God, God wants his presence to fill us, that his glory will just radiate from us. Then when we walk into a room, demons would flee, sick people would be healed, people would be delivered, and people will know God is here because he's with his people. That is our calling. That is our hope. And that's my fifth point, is that we're not just here on earth just to enjoy God and you know be with Him in heaven one day. Heaven is here. Heaven's come down to earth, and we're called to partner with Him to take the reality of heaven, to take the reality of His kingdom to a lost and dying world, to work with Him in manifesting His rule through words, through deeds, and just through being that show his love and his power and his presence. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples, he sent them away. He taught them and he sent them away to preach his message of the kingdom. In Matthew 10, verses 7 to 8, he says, As you go, proclaim the message the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. Drive out demons. You received without cost. Give without charge. It's a very simple message, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and even though you know, they were rookies, I mean, they hadn't like, been trained. That sort of, they, haven't, they were sort of fishermen. They had a variety of backgrounds. But even though they were far from being done with their training, they went out obediently. And the reason is because they knew Jesus had spent time with them, that experienced His power and His love in their lives, and they knew Him intimately. And God's given us authority over the power of the enemy. He's given us victory over the forces of darkness. And part of walking in obedience is to partner with Him in advancing His kingdom through pressing in prayer and through sharing the message and the reality of the kingdom of God as the disciples did. Philemon 6 effectively is a challenge and a call to all of us as Christians. You know, I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. God's heart is to invade our lives with His glory, bringing breakthrough and restoration. And as we experience and access His kingdom, so He calls us to think and to pray and to live that His kingdom comes to this earth. One John three verse eight proclaims, "For this reason was the Son of God manifested to destroy all the works of the devil." He wants His joy and His peace and His wholeness to fill the earth for everyone to come into a loving relationship with Him, and for the works of the devil sin, sickness, and spiritual bondage to be destroyed. And that's our mission as His children, to be a vessel for His glory, to transform the world around us. And it's a battle. It's a battle. We have our position, but we need to know that God prepares us for all of our battles. And there may be times, you know, where we, we go through struggles, times of pain and sorrow and disappointments, But God promises the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's His joy that gives us the supernatural strength to step forward in faith, even even before we see breakthrough or victory. Even when we walk through the places of difficulty and pain in our lives. Psalm 84 from verse 5 reads, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, his heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And Baca represents weeping. It's a place of disappointment or loss. But even in those places of pain, the Holy Spirit gives us the water of life. It's a spring that sustains us when we weak. And when we're thirsty, and provides us refreshment and provision as we continue our kingdom journey. And in order to press into the fullness of kingdom ministry, we need to have it settled in our hearts. That we are qualified as the sons and as the daughters of the Most High King. We are fully qualified to access the kingdom of God, the benefits of the gospel, the benefits of of the kingdom are available to you today. The power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus and raised him from the dead is available to you as you minister the truth of his kingdom to a lost and dying world. God loves you deeply, passionately. He's called you and he will use you more than you can ask for or imagine. But at the same time, in pursuing more of the fullness of the kingdom, we've got to be vigilant about things that are in our heart. You know, we're called to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and we're imperfect people. You know, we fall. But as we passionately pursue intimacy with Jesus, we need to focus on him as our priority. We need to deal with the idols in our hearts and we need to lay them down. And as we commit ourselves, to purity and heart, to grow in purity and heart, and practical holiness. So we begin to see God more clearly and grow in kingdom ministry. And we need to recognize there is a tension between our experience of the kingdom as both now and not yet. The gap in our everyday experience between what is promised. And what's experienced in our Christian lives. You know, the kingdom of God has come through when Jesus came and he walked on earth. It was advanced through his ministry and it continues to advance through his church. But it will only be fully and finally realized when Jesus returns again. And yet, and yet, Jesus says the time has come. The kingdom of God's Is at hand. And I think it's it's a difficult task to unpack that tension between the now and the not yet. And to a degree there's a mystery to it. But but I really believe, I really believe that you know what we settle for what we settle for in terms of our current reality and experience as Christians here on earth is far, 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 far so much. So much less than what's available to us as we pursue the God and Savior who loves us. And Jesus wants us to be aggressive in our pursuits of the advancement of his kingdom amongst us. In Matthew 11 verse 12 he reads, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men and women lay hold of it. So in closing, I believe God is encouraging us as his kids to step out in faith, to aggressively pursue opportunities to advance his kingdom. He says, greater works than me will you do. This is his promise to us. And we need to set aside the the man-made expectations and limitations of what we think God can do in and through us. The tension between the then and the now of the kingdom shouldn't limit our expectations. God wants to heal and deliver you. He wants to use you to do mighty exploits because He is a mighty God. And I want to ask you, will you, will you seek Him with all of your heart? Will you focus yourself to set your heart upon Him that, that He will be your all? Will you choose to love Him fix your gaze upon him and to prioritize knowing him and being known by him. He wants you to know him and to be known by him more deeply. Will you surrender control of your life for his purposes? And I want as we just think about that and meditate, everybody in their hearts just meditate upon that. I want to give an opportunity just to respond to this word. If if there's... Something in this word that actually has touched you and you just want to respond to. I'm asking of, Niko and Karen just to come up and we're just going to have a short time of just ministry where even in your seats you can just actually meditate and just wait upon God. And if you would like prayer, if you want prayer, you can come forward and there will be people who will pray for you. But just we want to just, just carve out just a space just to actually respond to the words. Thank you.